We're going to continue the series of messages that we, we began a few weeks ago called On the Road with Jesus, and we're talking about uh, episodes in the life and ministry of Jesus where he was on the road with his disciples, traveling from one place to another, and the things that he taught them and the things that they experienced um, in that unique environment. I almost put a picture up here this morning of my one of our kids, our middle daughter and her family, as they were preparing for their road trip this summer. You, you know the scene, the car bulging with stuff, you know, uh, the roof rack, the bicycle rack on the back. And, you know, before you even get out of the driveway, you've got two, two kids, as she does under age six, saying, are we there yet, right? That whole thing. And it, it's a familiar experience for a lot of us and a unique one. And sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it seems like, man, there's got to be a better way. But... Um, <laughs> There's, a, there's something that happens when you're just traveling together in that kind of a setting uh, that it's, it's indescribable and, uh, and amazing, uh, different than just flying over something, you know. So Jesus was having that kind of experience with his disciples in these, in these stories that we're looking at. And today we're going to be dealing with one that actually revisits a passage where we've been, John chapter 4. And Jesus has been in the um, southern part of Palestine, in the region of Jerusalem called Judah or Judea, and he's traveling back towards uh, the Galilee region. He has stopped off in Samaria, some of you will know, and this is where we've been recently before, to have an encounter with a, a Samaritan woman at a well in a city called Sychar. From there, he travels, continues traveling north uh, to the Galilee region, to a city called Cana. And that's where we pick up the story. He's not traveling alone. His disciples are with him. Verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. Most of you, I'm sure, have heard the story of Jesus turning the water to wine, even if you don't know the details. Well, that happened at this city previously. And so he's coming back to this place where this first of his miracles had been performed. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Capernaum is another city in the northern part of Israel, the Galilee region. And there's a nobleman there. We don't know exactly what that means, but he certainly uh, is clearly a man of prominence, probably a man of authority, and most likely a man of wealth. And uh, his son is sick, and we're going to find out so sick that he's dying. And uh, he hears that Jesus uh, has returned to the region that he's in, Cana, and it says, verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judah, Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So this man travels from the city of Capernaum to Cana by himself. Well, I don't, I don't know if it was by himself, but in person. Let's put it that way. In person. He didn't send emissaries. He didn't send servants. In person. He travels from Capernaum to Cana to ask Jesus. He's heard about this miracle worker, this itinerant preacher that has, has been displaying you know, indescribable works of healing and deliverance and other forms of miracles. And he comes to try to see if he can do something for his, his boy. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, as you know, the, the Bible that you hold in your hands there, most of you would be holding an English Bible. That's a translation from the original versions of these books uh, that were penned in Greek. 
And so, um, you know, grammar doesn't necessarily uh, transfer one to one from one language to another. And the English translators at times insert words to help us um, kind of make sense of it. And so the word people in Jesus' statement that you read here is one of those inserted words. Um, and it's, it's fine, and it does help to help us understand the, the, you know, what's being said here. But it can sound like, especially in the way we use uh, language today, it can sound like a serious rebuke. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That's really not the case. That's not the heart of what's being said here. Jesus is just stating a fact. He said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And, I mean... Uh, I, I wish I was one who always believed first, but I think I, like most of you, are from the show-me state. And we want to see and then believe. And Jesus was just making that observation. 49. The nobleman said to him, and he doesn't even respond to Jesus' statement. You know, it's just, he's focused on one thing and one thing alone. Can I get this man to help me? Sir, come down before my child dies. Have you ever been desperate? He's desperate. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And he went his way. That's what Jesus told him to do. Go your way. Your son lives. He believed the word that Jesus spoke and then he did what he said. He went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him. So his servants back in Capernaum come to meet him on his journey home. They meet him and they told him saying, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he, his son, got better. And they said to him, the father, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the exact same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. It's a, this is a wonderful story, an amazing story, and, and worthy to be uh, looked at from all kinds of angles. But what I want to um, talk to you today about is faith, and that's why the, the subtitle of this message is The Foundation of Faith. Let's take a look at the map so we get an idea of what's going on here geographically. As I've already said, Jesus was on his way from uh, Jerusalem, the environments of Jerusalem, down in Judea. Uh, most recently, he had a stop off in Samaria, and then from there, continuing north to Cana. He arrives there, and a man uh, from Capernaum, up there in the north part of the, on the shore of the north uh, part of the Sea of Galilee, makes his way from there down to Cana to meet Jesus because his, he's desperate. His son is dying. Now, that's about a 15 minute, uh, or 15 minute, 15 mile journey from Capernaum to Cana. It would take us 15 minutes to travel that in a car. I drove that far this morning. You know, uh, 15 miles at 60 miles an hour is... Not what you drove. Probably not what I drove. That's right. <laughs> but it doesn't seem like a lot to us. 
For him, it was at least a five-hour walk one way, 10 hours round trip. He's desperate, and he comes to Jesus. And that act alone tells us something about faith. I'll get to it in a minute. This is a picture of a more modern, uh, is a more modern day picture of, because uh, they didn't have cameras in those days. You can understand. <laughs> this is a modern day picture of Cana in Galilee, just so you can kind of get an idea of where they were. Now, I said we're going to look at faith today. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that, six, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Not unlikely that you'll be able to please God. Not that it will be difficult to please God. Impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible. So faith is a pretty important thing, wouldn't you say? And something we have a hard time getting a hold of sometimes. If I asked you to define faith, would you be able to do so? It's a hard thing to define. But in this passage, we're going we're gonna to see some things about faith that will help us. We're not going to solve all of our, all of our uh, misunderstandings. We're not going to solve all of our lack of awareness of, about faith. But we're going to get somewhere. We're going to talk about three types of faith that are demonstrated in these few verses that we read and how they bear upon our lives because faith is serious business. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the first kind of faith that we encounter is the faith that rises out of this desperate man's crisis. It's the kind of faith that says, what have I got to lose? And it's based on what Jesus might do. Now, that may not seem like faith to you, but it is. It's the beginning of faith. And I will, I will bet that nearly everyone in this room to whatever degree you've come to faith in God, that journey began with a crisis. A financial crisis, a marital crisis, a, phys uh, a, a, a crisis of your health, something, a relational issue of some other kind, drove you to the point where you were looking for something bigger than yourself. Someone bigger than yourself or your circumstances that crisis propelled you to take a risk, to pull that dusty book off the shelf that on the cover says B-I-B-L-E and crack it open and see what you might find in there. To respond to your friend's invitation to come down to that church where you're scared to death what they're going to do to you when you get in there. <laughs> to maybe offer a prayer that you've, when you've never prayed in your whole life, you will step into that place that's unfamiliar and to you untried and untested because you're desperate. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's where most of us begin. And we seek God for what he might do. What have I got to lose? And that's where this man begins. But then we encounter another kind of faith. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute because there's actually, I want to go to the third type of faith and I'll explain why I'm skipping the second one in a minute. The third type of faith that we encounter is when the man is on his way home 
And he's, meet, he's met by the servants who tell him that his son is healed. And it says there that after he understands the magnitude of what's happened, that the moment that Jesus said, go your way, your son lives, his son was healed. When that registers with him, they all rejoice. And it says he believed and his whole house. So there was another kind of faith demonstrated at that point. Many of us in the room understand what it's like to have to experience the kind of faith that declares what an amazing God we have. Anybody here raise your hand to say, yeah, I've, I've had that experience where I've, my heart has soared with gratitude to the one who has miraculously moved on my part and I, then the kind of faith that we have in that moment, I mean, you could take on the world, right? And that's amazing. It's wonderful. There's nothing like it. When you experience the fulfillment of something that your heart has longed for and God has, has provided or in some other way um, reached into the circumstances of your life and rearranged them in a marvelous way, your heart soars with what a mighty God we have, what an amazing God we have. And that's a wonderful kind of faith. And most of us, though, we want to go from the first kind of faith, which is, what have I got to lose, to the third kind of faith, which is, what an amazing God we have. We want to go from, directly from there to there. You have this crisis, you bring it to the Lord, and, you, and you're just throwing a prayer up, hoping you hit something, you're, you're just trying it out, you're hoping that somehow or another you'll connect with a God who could help you because you're desperate and you want for the very next part of the story to be that Jesus answers that prayer and you can celebrate with what an amazing God we have. That's what most of us want. Can I tell you, though, it usually doesn't work out there that way. Sometimes it does. Hallelujah. But most of the time, there's another form of faith sandwiched in between those other two. What have I got to lose? What an amazing God we have. Somewhere in the middle there, there's another kind of faith, and we see it in this passage. It's the kind of faith that says, what am I going to do? Jesus said to the man, go your way, your son lives. And it says there, the man believed the word. He believed the word. So there's another kind of faith here. He believed the word that Jesus spoke and he did what Jesus said. He went on his way. A lot of times we miss this very valuable and very important kind of faith in our pursuit of God. What am I going to do in response to his word? The first kind of faith, the faith that says, what have I got to lose, is usually precipitated by a crisis and based on what Jesus might do. The third kind of faith that we encounter here, the faith that says, what an amazing God we have, is based on what Jesus has done. But the second kind of faith, the one I'm going to focus in on with you right now that we see in this story, is the faith that says, what am I going to do based on what Jesus has said? Why is that important? Is God toying with us? No. I've said this so often, you can probably quote it. 
But God is his only, only intent for you is relationship with you. He wants relationship with you. How do you have relationship is, except that there is trust and surrender? Think about your kids. A healthy parent-child relationship is not based on most of the, on the things that most of us think. A healthy parent-child relationship is not based on the reasons for their obedience having been explained to the child's satisfaction. And yet that's what most of us want from God. We will withhold our relationship with Him. We will withhold our obedience to Him until we're certain what He means. And until we know how this all plays out. We want our questions answered first. But your relationship with your child, if that's the way it's going to be, that's not going to be healthy. Neither is your relationship with your child based on your threats of punishment. Neither is your, a healthy relationship with your child based on the promise of reward. Picture this. Your little three-year-old runs out the front door as they are wont to do and you can see the car coming. How healthy of a relationship do you have with that child if they refuse to stop when you tell them to stop until you explain why? Well, because there's a car coming, it's bigger than you, it might hit you and then it would hurt you and it's going to be too late. You're not going to have a healthy relationship with that child either if the only way you get them to stop is if you say, you stop now or I'm going to whack your hiney. <laughs> you might spare him from the car, but I mean, you know. <laughs> Nor is it where you plead, please, please stop, I'll buy you, name it, you know. That's, that's not a healthy relationship. And God wants only relationship with us. And so it has to be that we come to know our Heavenly Father's voice and obey it because He said so. Now, if you're, if you're a parent, you, all, you, all, you know what this is. And your kids pester you for, with questions. Why? 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 And you say, because I said so. Right? Well, I know that comes out of exasperation for most of us, but... There's a lot of truth to that when it comes to my relationship with God. Faith is, I obey you because you said so. Not because you've explained yourself. Not because you've threatened. Not because you've promised. But because you said so. This didn't work out the way the man in the story thought. The nobleman, you can tell, he's already, it says, he had it in his mind. All right, I'm going to ask Jesus to, he, in fact, he says, come back with me, come down with me. He's got a scenario painted in his mind. He, I'm sure he imagines that he'll, perhaps he'll be able to convince Jesus to follow him back to Capernaum, and maybe Jesus will wave his hands over the boy, pronounce some sort of incantation, who knows, but he's got it figured out in his mind what's probably going to happen. Just like you and I, when we come to the Lord with our requests and our needs, our desperation, we have it thought out what's going to happen. And it rarely turns out that way. 
And so this man, when Jesus doesn't do what he's asked him to do, he's come down with me, he doesn't do it. When he doesn't do, he breaks the guy's paradigm. The man has a choice to make. And he makes the right one. He chooses to do what he said. To believe and to do. And that's so crucial to our life of faith, our walk of faith. Now, this message is not about giving or tithing. Or, I mean, most of you might, don't even know what that is, but tithing means you give 10% to God. Gulp. It's all just gulp together. Gulp, 10%. This message isn't about that. Uh, I, I usually try to preach one of those once a year, and I've already done mine for the year, so it, and the offering's already been received, so nobody get nervous here this morning. <laughs> But it's my story, and I, I got to tell you, you know, the early part of Sue's and my marriage, we were broke, as broke, as broke as you can get. And we spent a lot of time crying out to God in desperation. God, we need, God, help us, and all that. And the Lord was, was faithful. I mean, you know, he didn't, we didn't starve. Close, but we... <laughs> I remember telling, telling Sue at one point in our life, honey, we'll get to eat at McDonald's again someday. <laughs> but through that period of time, nibbling around in the back of my consciousness was all the scriptures that I knew about giving to God, returning to him what belongs to him. But somehow I just kept blocking that out. That cannot apply to me. See, I imagine, here's what I thought. I, I'm going to come to God, and God, we need our rent paid this month, we are or this week, we are desperate. And I, here's how, what I imagine. I imagine I'm going to go out the front door to the mailbox, and it open up, there's going to be an unexpected check there in just the right amount. That's what I'm imagining. Not that I'm going to write a check, but I could not escape. See, I... God is interested in relationship with me. And I, I finally had to do what he said. I had to do what he said. And that was the expression of my faith that, you know, we didn't, I, I don't want to make it seem as though, you know, the next day we're rolling in dough. But I want to tell you that for decades since then, we have been living in a miraculous flow of God's provision. Because he's faithful. He is faithful when we do what he says. Now, I know, uh, you know, there's a lot of times people will say, well, I don't know what he says. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I understand that, but can I, I would hold up my Bible if I had it here today, all I've got is this slab of glass. But, but can I tell you that, let's just pretend this is my Bible. Can I tell you that in this thing is 66 books of God speaking to us. Pick something that he has said and do it. I, 
You know. There's stuff right now. You know that you have yet to obey. Start there. Always start there. The kind of faith that bridges the gap from what have I got to lose to what an amazing God we have is the one that says, what am I going to do in response to what he says? This is recording number 11118 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, August 17, 2014. This is the fifth message in a series by Randy Bolt titled, On the Road with Jesus. This message is titled, The Foundation of Faith. 